You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm just going to look at two verses today. Uh, to my left are some really cool gifts, and uh, we're going to distribute those at the end of the service for those who really are all in today, and that includes students. Some good stuff there, all right? I wish I was sitting down front. All right, so we're wrapping up a series this morning. The series that we went through uh, during Christmas, Give This Christmas Away. And the first three talks were about what we have the privilege to give God, but today is all about what God has given us through Jesus Christ. And it really pairs so well with the children's talk. So the topic this morning, the gift of grace. And I want to ask you a question as we launch. When you think of the word term grace, what comes to mind? Down front? When you hear the word grace, what comes to mind? How many of you immediately go to saying a prayer at mealtime, saying grace? Nobody. Serious? All right. Nolan, me and Nolan are connecting. One of those gifts could be for you, son, if you stay connected, all right? Stick with me. Nolan's my man. We're neighbors. We talked about sledding this winter, but we're waiting for snow, right, Nolan? All right, well, I know grace is a difficult term, but yet it's it's huge in Scripture. In fact, I would suggest it is the key theme of the Bible. So let me try to capture your mind, your thinking, with what grace is all about through a story. Uh, I dare ask this question. How many of you are Bills fans? I knew I'd get a few hands there. The Bills Mafia, the Bills Mafia showed up today. So a number of years ago, uh, ESPN did a documentary entitled The Four Falls of Buffalo. And so on the screen, you see kind of the caption there, but we're not talking about Niagara Falls. We're talking about an era of Buffalo Bills that if you know anything about football, you remember 1990 to 1993. Do you remember those years? Four runs for the Super Bowl. In 1990, it was really a banner year, and uh, we're playing the New York Giants. Buffalo, New York, New York Giants, big game. It got down to uh, uh, Jim Kelly slamming the ball into the ground to give the kicker, Scott Norwood, eight seconds to win the big game, the Super Bowl. So the ball is snapped, it is kicked, it's into the air, and I'll never forget the caption, wide to the right forever. How many of you remember that? Yeah, me. So here's the deal, folks. Scott Norwood, 30 years later, would say this. He still feels that moment in time. He feels the disappointment, the hurt, the shame that he felt, and the emotion for letting who? Letting the fans down, the Bills Mafia from all across the country. Well, one of the coolest things happened when they returned to Buffalo, 30,000 
fans showed up to cheer him on. And during that rally, people started to chant, we want Scott. We want Scott. Scott, of course, is just kind of retreating in the background, still feeling the emotion of the loss. And yet he stepped to the podium. When he took the mic and he shared a few things from his heart, after that experience, seeing 30,000 fans, having the fans cheer his name, he said this, and I quote, he says, I cannot remember a time where I felt so loved by people. Folks, that's a picture of grace. In fact, it's one of the best pictures of grace since I've been a Christian. Here's what the Bills fans did. They gave Scott Norwood something he didn't deserve, right? The typical fan turns the back, thumbs down, condemnation. You blew it. This was our time. Not the Bills Mafia. We want Scott. And they showed him love. And he received that gift and a memory that he'll always cherish. I would like to say, if you want to know what grace is all about, it's God giving us what we don't deserve through Christ. That is the essence of grace. And so to our passage this morning, Ephesians chapter 2, Paul gives this beautiful summary of grace in two verses, and we're going to camp here. He says this, for you are saved, meaning your salvation, salvation from sin, salvation from past, present, and future sins, your salvation for all eternity is by grace. That's a gift, folks, that we don't deserve. And how does it come? It comes through faith. And this not from yourself. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. When I ever, ever have the privilege of speaking on the topic of grace, I'd like to just define it because it's so hard to capture. You know why grace is hard to capture in our culture? We're not used to it, and rarely do we experience it, if ever. We get justice, right? You get pulled over, you're speeding, you get a ticket. We get mercy, hey, I might let you go. Grace is over the top. It's God given to sinners what we absolutely don't deserve. What did he give us? His best, his one and only son. And so it's quite remarkable. So let's start in the Old Testament. I'm going to take you back all the way to Genesis 6, 8. Sometimes people think, you know, when, when Jesus showed up, grace showed up. Oh, no. God is a God of grace from day one. And so look what it says about Noah. Noah, however, found favor or grace in the eyes of the Lord. The Hebrew word there is, is just that God favors us. He looks down with a smile. He's not angry. And then you jump to the New Testament. The word is charis. We talked about this a few weeks ago, and it means kindness. It means gift. It's God's kindness being bestowed upon us. Titus 2.11, check this verse out. For the grace of God has appeared with salvation for all people. And of course, it's talking about Jesus. When Jesus showed up, they saw grace and truth. They saw the kindness. They saw the favor. They saw the gift of God embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you one more story, and hopefully this will put the icing on the cake to understand grace. A number of years ago, I'm in Florida with a colleague of mine, and we would typically get away from Minnesota because it was such a brutal winter, and we'd play two or three days of golf. And this time, we're in Florida. The weather in Florida wasn't uh, accommodating to golf, so we went to the show. 
Uh, we saw the movie uh, Concussion by Will Smith. And I'll never forget, I'm coming out of the theater, and there's a senior gal at the table. We struck up a conversation, and she looks at me, and she's just a little bit puzzled, and she says, you know what? You look like Clark Gable. I was like, what? Clark Gable? My buddy here, Mark, he's like gagging, ready to vomit. Just like, what about me? So, you know, we leave. We, we head back to Minnesota. I had a uh, gal, Shauna, who's our communications director, and then Rebecca, our graphic designer, both full-time, told them the story. They're laughing. Half hour later, I get this from Rebecca. Check it out. Is that Clark Gable or what? I should have kept the mustache. So here's the deal, folks. Why do I show that? That's favor. Here's a gal, never met her before, and she's just being kind to me. She's being gracious to me. She's building me up. Mark hated it. I loved it. I mean, I just felt good, right? So should I bring the mustache back? Clark Gable? Thanks, J.D. It's really cool. Nolan, JD, there's two gone. There's two gone. All right, so here's the deal. What I always encourage is using your Connect card to take notes. Two reasons to take notes today. Number one, you're going to learn the gospel. Because we're going to use grace as an acrostic. We're just going to walk through the gospel, the good news. And this could be a tool for you to use with a friend, a neighbor, a coworker this Christmas season. But also to be a mirror in your own life to see if you've experienced the greatest gift, the grace of God through Jesus Christ our Lord, all right? So the acrostic, G. G stands for a gift to be received. And folks, please do not make light of the idea of receiving. We're gonna close this morning with the privilege to receive something. What a blessing it is as parents to give gifts. We exchanged gifts last night, and it's just a joy to see your kids, now your grandkids, little peanut receiving a gift. God offers the greatest gift his son, but until we receive it, it's, it doesn't mean anything. And so where do we get that? Look at verse eight of Ephesians two. For you are saved by grace through faith. It's not from yourselves, it is God's gift. And I would contend it is God's greatest gift. Think about it. Why do we prioritize gift giving at Christmas? Well, it comes from John 3, 16. I hope you never make light of this powerful verse, probably one of the most popular, familiar verses in all the New Testament. For God so loved the world in this way. In what way? That he gave his one and only son that, who, that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Think about the gift. The greatest gift, Jesus Christ, his one and only son. The greatest giver, God the Father giving his best. And I get that as a parent. What a joy it is to give gifts to your children, now to your grandchildren. How fun. What did God do? He gave his best. He gave his all. He gave his one and only son. Here's another way to look at grace. You got to go from birth to Calvary, right? Jesus was born to die. That is the gospel. It's in the birth narratives. But when you think of Calvary, you think of grace. Here's what I think of. God's riches at Christ's expense. He gives his best, his riches, but his son had to pay the penalty for our sin. That's remarkable. And that's why John 1.16 says, indeed, we have received grace after grace from whose fullness? From Christ's fullness, the best of gift. 
So, G stands for a gift to be received. R, R stands for experiencing the gift of grace. And this is key, folks. This is the gospel. By relying on Christ alone. If you know anything about the great Protestant Reformation, go back four or 500 years at least, there was a thing that, that came out uh, by faith alone, Jesus Christ alone. You can't add anything to what Christ did at Calvary. Jesus finished the work. There's nothing we can add. And so we want to unpack that. Look again at verse 8. For you are saved by grace through faith. And it's not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works so that no one could boast. So let's talk a little bit about faith this morning. What is genuine faith? And I think this is where sometimes many in America get a little bit confused. Do you realize today that two-thirds, according to a brand new Pew research, because this consensus uh, was just closed, two-thirds of Americans identify with the Judeo-Christian ethic. So they believe in God, they identify with Jesus, the Christmas story, maybe respect the Bible, but are they true believers? Do they have genuine faith? Is it saving faith? That's a huge question. Let me show you something from the book of James. This is pretty remarkable. James is the brother of Jesus. Some would say the half-brother, but the brother of Jesus. James 2.19, you believe that God is one, you do well. Notice this. The demons also believe in what happens. They're shuddering. They're trembling. The demons know. They have head knowledge. They have an awareness of who God is, right? But are they saved? Of course not. There's no salvation. There's no true belief, transformation of life. And so what does it mean to have genuine faith? And so let me try to unpack that visually for you this morning. Uh, my dear mother-in-law, we call her Nani, is 89 years old. And when Nani was traveling, she would come periodically to visit our family when we were in different states. So she flew from Buffalo to Roanoke, Virginia. We had a wonderful time together. But Nani's getting ready to fly out of Roanoke, Virginia. She's literally taxiing on the tarmac. Guess what happens? The engine starts on fire. Imagine being on a plane and all of a sudden, poof. Your plane's on fire. Fire trucks immediately were deployed, putting out the fire. The, the plane was evacuated. And there's Nani, a senior woman, widow for many years, sitting in the terminal thinking, do I really want to get on another plane and fly back to uh, Buffalo? Would you agree that was a tough decision? Of course it's a tough decision. I mean, just imagine if that plane taxi took off and something happened to that engine in flight, on fire, plane goes down, it's over. Nani had a decision to make, and I believe it's a beautiful illustration of faith. She had to trust herself to what she believed the airline could do, the mechanics could do, the pilots could do, and everybody who services that, the air control, etc. She had to trust herself to all of that to get her from Roanoke, Virginia to Buffalo. She said yes, she got home, Nani's still with us. That's faith. Faith's not just head knowledge, folks. Please hear me. It's heart knowledge. It's truly believing in your head. It starts with the truth of the gospel, but it transforms your heart where you'll literally step on a plane and trust that Jesus will transport you for all eternity to be with his heavenly Father. 
I mean, that's the gospel and that's the good news. So please be discerning on what it means to rely on Christ alone by faith. Now, the object of our faith is very important in Christianity. And so Acts 4.12 says this, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by where we must be saved. One source of faith, the object of our faith is Jesus Christ. That's Christmas. That's the gospel. That's the greatest gift. Third, A, it's available to all. And folks, this is beautiful because the Bible says that God is no respecter of people. Yeah, he chose the, chose the nation of Israel, right, to bring forth the Messiah. But the gospel is to bless all people in Jesus' name. And so Acts 2.21 says, Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Notice the word there. Everyone, you have the privilege today to receive the greatest gift. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And folks, that's not only Peter. Let me jump to Paul to reinforce this. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This became so prominent in the early church so people could know what they, they needed to do, respond by believing and receiving. Now, there are times where I hear in pastoral ministry, some people said, well, pastor, if you know my backstory, if you knew the sins that have taken place behind closed doors and the train wreck my life has been, uh, it's not that easy. And so the individuals are typically asking this question, is there anyone beyond the reach of God's grace? Can you screw up so bad where God's grace is null and void? How would you answer that? Well, let me take you to Calvary. Because if I think through history and some of the greatest atrocities that have ever been committed, I would have to say Calvary is the greatest atrocity. Now we know things like Hitler, we know Mussolini and Nikita Khrushchev, even in our lifetime there's been enormous atrocities. But think about this. God becomes man. He lives, he teaches, he heals, he blesses, he does miracles. He lives God in the flesh. And what, how do people respond to him? They crucify him. Folks, I would suggest that's the greatest atrocity ever. And so here's what Jesus says. While hanging on the cross, he said seven things. We know that from the four gospels. The first thing he said this, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. I hope that's good news for you today. Regardless of what you've done, regardless of where you've been, there's no sin too great for the grace of God. Debt paid in full, the apostle Paul said. Remember Saul of Tarsus? Persecuted the church, murdered Christians, stood there when Stephen was being stoned to death. He has an encounter with Christ. He gets saved, debt paid in full. A murderer, a persecutor is forgiven. No one's beyond the reach of God's grace. And so plug yourself into the equation. God wants to forgive our past, our present, and future sins through Jesus Christ. Father, forgive them. C, C stands for receiving God's grace, and this is a hard one for Americans, by confessing your spiritual bankruptcy. 
And I use those terms um, very deliberately. Why? Because most people do not believe they are spiritually bankrupt. Most people believe they bring something good to the equation. Well, I'm a pretty decent person. I'm okay. I'm good. I'm not as bad as that person. And what we do is we compare ourselves to who? To a human standard. Instead of looking up and comparing ourselves to a holy and righteous standard, God. And so, let's go back to our passage, Ephesians 2.9. For you're saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Notice the next phrase, folks. Not from works. Why? So we don't boast. In other words, there's nothing we can do. Jesus said, Father, in, in, in his high priestly prayer, John 17, I finished the work you gave me to do. What's the work? To purchase our salvation at Calvary. At Calvary, he said, it is finished. What's finished? The work he came to do. Now, Sometimes people, too, get confused about world religions. And they think, oh, you know, Christianity is just one of the top five or six world religions. They're all kind of equal. When you study world religions side by side, you know what you're going to discover? They're not similar. They're incredibly dissimilar. And they are absolutely not equal. Christianity, please don't miss this, is the only religion, if you want to put it into that category, that has the concept of grace in it. No other religion does that. It is void in their literature. You know what world religions say? It's one word, do. You could literally sum up the world religions with one word, do. It's performance-based. It's work, work, work. It's, man, I, I, I got this thing. I can do it. You know what Christianity says? It's just the opposite. I can't do it. I'm broken. I'm a sinner. And we say, done. And we look to the finished work at Calvary. We say, Lord, please remember me, a sinner. Save me by your grace. Friends, that's the gospel. Now, Again, going back to this idea of, of being a good person, I'm glad there are good people, right? It's just nice to live in a community. We, we're in Adel. There's a lot of good people in Adel. You need a place to live? Check out Adel. Good place to live, right? But it begs this question, how good does a person have to be? Have you ever thought about that? How good? Where do we get our gauge of goodness? Do I compare myself to Ellen? Well, I lose. I'm in trouble. If Ellen compares herself to Mother Teresa, it's kind of equal. I don't know. That's what my mom said. You married Mother Teresa. All right, that's good. Guess what? Mother Teresa needed a Savior. Mary, the mother of Jesus, needed a Savior. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Can I show you something? This might be a hard pill to swallow. Please embrace it. Jesus said this. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So, nobody here likes to raise their hands. I'm wondering, is there anyone perfect here this morning? Huh? We all fall short, right? It's pretty easy to know we haven't attained the standard that God has established. Why perfection? Because he's perfect. He's holy. He's righteousness. And folks, we have to get our eyes off of each other and put it on God. And so, maybe an illustration would help. And I'm not going to ask any more questions like, hey, how many of you like omelets? Nobody participates. I like omelets. I like omelets with 
everything in it. So let me show you an omelet with everything in it. We're talking peppers, onions, mushrooms. Just fill it up. Give me like a real omelet, right? So let's say it's morning and you're just having this omelet morning and you're all in. It's a 12-egg omelet. You got 10. You're mixing it up. It's getting done. And the last two eggs you crack open, they're nasty. They're snotty. They're pukey. They're stinky. They're rotten. And you put that in your omelets. So, girls, twins, if you did that, you think mom and dad, Heath and Risa, would eat that stuff knowing? No. Thank you. All right. So we got a teen gift up there. That's three. That's good. Good, good, good. But sometimes that's what we think, guys. But the Bible is very clear. If we've offended in one area, we're guilty of all. And I know that's a hard pill to swallow. Let me ask you a question. Some people who think they're good. And I'm looking in the mirror right now. Have you ever lied? You guys want to participate? You ever lied? Okay, you guys. You know what that makes you? A liar. Have you ever stolen? Anybody else? Second row? Ever stolen? Anybody steal out there? No stealers? Yeah? You know what that makes you? Stealer. You ever had a bad thought like... All right, the list goes on and on. You know where I'm going, right? All we have to do is take God's 10 commandments, look at them as a mirror, and quickly we realize, guess what? I am this person. We're not as good as we think, and I throw my hat into the ring. Therefore, what does Jesus do? He comes and he satisfies God's righteousness. Can I show you a verse that's really powerful? 2 Corinthians 5.21 one of the most powerful truths in all the New Testament. God made Jesus who did not know sin to be sin for us. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus is sinless. He's the son of God. God takes our sin, puts it on Jesus, and clothes us with Jesus' righteousness. That's the gospel. And friends, as soon as we embrace that, it is freeing to then live in a manner worthy of the gospel. And I don't have to work. I don't have to perform. I don't have to make the grade. I don't have a checklist. Oh, I've done this. I've gone to church. I've given, ah, da, da. And the list goes on and on. No. Christ's work at Calvary satisfies God's justice. His righteousness then is imparted to us sinners who put their faith in Jesus. Isn't that great news? That's Christmas. Bono really uh, embraced this a number of years ago. Let me share a quote with you that caught my attention this week. He said, I'm holding out for grace. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins onto the cross because I know who I am and I hope I don't have to depend on my own religiosity. That is such a powerful statement. Bible says, I know who I am. You know what he's saying? I'm a sinner. And I cannot rely on my religion, my good works, my performance, my doing. I rely on God's grace through Jesus Christ. What a gift. What a gift. Now finally, E stands for receiving God's grace resulting in eternal life being celebrated. Romans 6.23, we're closing up. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, when you're 62, and maybe you got another 20 years left, you think about eternity a whole lot more. You guys, you don't think about eternity a lot, do you? You just think about sleeping in 
right, one o'clock. I don't know, I got a Christmas card from some family that says, yeah, you know, I think the record sleeping in was 106. What was the time on? Yeah, 106. That was an interesting thing. I remember those days. We don't think about eternity. Why? Because today, in some ways, is all we got. You know what the Bible does? It pushes us constantly to think about eternity. Constantly. Why? Our life's but a vapor here one minute on the next. No man knows the day or the hour. We don't know what tomorrow holds, guys. Be ready for eternity. That's what Jesus wants, to offer that gift of eternal life. What a blessing. One of the people that, individuals that I've appreciated over the years is a man named Peter Drucker. Uh, really, if you're in leadership and management, you know that name. He's the textbook guy in a lot of university today. And someone asked him, you know, Peter, how did it happen? What compelled you to become a Christian? And here's a quote that really stood out to me. When somebody first explained grace to me, I realized I was never going to get a better deal. Here's the deal, folks. I'm not a salesman. I'm not trying to sell Jesus, but I'll tell you something. He nailed it. There's no better deal because you have a choice today. You could do your own thing, go your own way. That's your choice. You could work, 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 pound the pavement, make the grade, check the boxes, perform. That's your choice. Or you could say, Lord, I'm done. I, I can't do it. I could never make the grade. But Jesus did. And therefore, I choose this deal. <laughs> Let me close with this, John 1.12. And please capture this truth. But to all who did receive Jesus, he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name. Two words are synonymous. Believing, remember we talked about head knowledge? Receiving is heart knowledge. They're always paired together. Literally, I'm getting on the plane. I am trusting. I'm all in. It takes faith. But Jesus, I believe you did the work. You finished the work the Father gave you to do. And so the question this morning is, Christmas 2021, have you believed? Have you received? It's the greatest gift. Think about what God did. God becomes a baby. We've already talked about that humility. His life was transformational. His teachings are everlasting. He healed, he loved, he blessed, he gave. But folks, the most important thing he did was die. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. God offers you today forgiveness through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's grace. That is a gift. And so we're going to close. We're going to have a little bit of fun just to illustrate uh, grace and gifts. There's five really good gifts here. Now, yes, Mother Teresa, please come forward. <laughs> I'll be in trouble. I'll be, I'll be eating in the woodshed. All right. So we have a group 40 and above, we have a really nice gift for you. It's all kind of wrapped. And, and then we have this group from 25 to 40. I don't know what's the key term. Is it millennial? No? Gen X? 25 to 40, we'll stick with that. All right? Then there's this, that, that's kind of like the young adult group, right? Yeah, young adult. Then we got one for a teenager, like teen, 13 to 19, teen, and then we got two for kids, um, 12 and under. And so here's the deal. Pastor Keith's playing the role of Santa, not too chunky, 
don't have my beard, but I'm just going to be the gift giver. So there's five gifts, one for those categories, two for the kids. We're just going to give you a moment, and anybody would like to receive that gift, uh, feel free to come up. Ellen will distribute. Just come on down. First one. That's just how it works. My man, Nolan. My man, Nolan, right, right there, sir. Right there. Check it out, Nolan. He scored. Yes. All right, buddy. Yeah, you can stay up here for a minute. Yeah, stay up here. Anyone else? We got four gifts left. 40 and above, young adult age, 25 to 40. Got the teen. Got, got at least one teen and one more kid. This is one of those altar calls, you know, the, all right, here's, oh, oh, come on, come on, Michael, Michael, Mickey, yep. Let me tell you, sir, you're going to love that gift. You are going to love that gift. Mickey, I wish, I wish I was your age. That's a sweet one. We got a team. We got one more kid going down. One more kid. Oh, one more. All right, one team. This is such a bashful group down front here. What do you got left? All right. We got the teen left. There it is. Come on up here. I can't believe what I just saw. I mean, I would have been down there like this. Boom. It's a free gift. Do you want to open yours, Michael? I think we're, we're just going to open one right now. Actually, let's open them all. Why not? Just have fun. We got time, right? Brett, good? Go ahead, guys. Open it up. We'll see if you like it. See if Pastor Keith did, did good here. You might need a pocket knife, son. Huh, Mickey? All right, good. Waiting to see Michael here. Leather, CSB study Bible. Killing it. What'd you get, son? Yeah, $25 to Palms. Do you need a date? Okay, we're good. Good. What'd you get, son? Yeah, some weird kid stuff. <laughs> How about you, Nolan? What'd you score? All right. Are you happy? Yes. You should be happy. God bless you guys. Get out of here. <laughs> when you preach for a while, sometimes you just got to have a little bit of fun, Right. Uh, one of my sons said uh, yesterday, you know, Dad, don't you just rehash the stuff? Hopefully not, right? So that was brand new. I don't think I've ever done that before. Um, but here's the point. And the point is so important, guys. Just like these individuals today had the privilege to receive a gift. Number one, it was free. Number two, it was offered to all of you, right? 
but they had to receive it. And they'll have that gift, and they'll be thankful for that gift. Hopefully, they'll cherish that gift. When Michael's going through that study Bible, it's a great, great study Bible. He'll be thinking of the gift. And that's how it is with Christ. When you come to genuine faith in Christ, you receive God's greatest gift, what happens? You just live that life of transformation and thankfulness. Thank you, Father, for what you've done through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's Christmas. And so, we're gonna sing, and the question I want you to ask yourself, A, have you believed, head to heart, have you received God's greatest gift? And is it gonna be lived out in 2022? Let's stand, let's worship together.